You're listening to Fueling the Future of Transport, hosted by Tammy Klein, the founder and CEO of Transport Energy Strategies. We'll talk all about the fuels and energy it takes to keep the world moving forward. Welcome to the program, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. I am so pleased to have with me Jenna McDavid. Jenna is an electric vehicles uh, practice director with Kimley Horn. So we are really going to get into what I like to call the bits and nuggets of electric vehicle charging. And for those of you that have been listening um, this year, um, especially in the latter half of, of this year, we've really done a lot of perspective and brought in a lot of perspectives on electric vehicle charging, um, especially in North America. And we're going to continue that for the next few shows. But I'm really excited to have Jenna with us today because, you know, we talk more broadly about, you know, what's the future going to look like and, you know, what the sales are going to be and what are the policies. But to actually have someone come on and talk about what the process is like and what's involved um, in terms of installing uh, charging is is really, really exciting. And I think you're going to learn a lot today. So with all that said, Jenna, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Tammy. I'm so happy to be here. I'm happy to have you. So Jenna and I were both on a panel at the conference where uh, I was just talking about what's the future going to look like? What's it going to be like? And, you know, I was I was really happy to be on the panel with Jenna and I learned so much from her as frankly, another another panelist. And I'm like, hmm. We have to have Jenna Jenna on the program. So let's get into it. So for the listeners who may not be familiar, can you talk about um, Kimley Horn, what it does, its connection into the EV space and um, and your role? Sure. So Kimley Horn is one of the largest engineering planning and design firms in the U.S. Um, I've been with the firm for about a year, and I'm still learning about everything we do. Uh, We do transit and transportation planning and urban design and aviation and energy and mechanical, electrical, structural engineering, roadways and bridges and traffic and parking and landscape architecture, more and more. There's 6,500 of us uh, in 100 offices across the U.S. Uh, In the EV charging space, we've been involved for more than a decade. We've um, planned, designed, and and or permitted more than 15,000 chargers in more than 40 states in the U.S. Uh, We do level two and DC fast charging for major network operators, for national private clients, across industries. We do fleet electrification for transit agencies and airports and seaports and local and regional governments uh, and a whole host of other public and private clients. It's a really exciting time to be involved in this space, and it's really exciting to work for a firm that touches it from so many different angles. So what is the process of planning and designing for EV charging really look like? Like what is, for for someone who really doesn't know a whole lot about this space, what's really involved? I would say the process is a little different depending on the type of client and sort of what their uh, business objectives are and where they are in the process. So we have some clients that have large portfolios of sites across the country or within a specific state or region, and they ask us for help deciding where and when to deploy chargers across all their sites. So they're trying to decide which sites in which order, how many and what types of chargers and that sort of thing. We have other clients who have a specific site in mind, and they need help figuring out what types of infrastructure are best suited to that site. 
Then we have some clients who have the site and the infrastructure selected, and they just need support from that point forward. And then a lot of our fleet clients have some of these same considerations coupled with trying to identify, you know, how many chargers do they need? What's the right placement um, of those chargers? What are the right types of chargers to support their operations? So across all of those different sort of pieces, once the site's been selected, there's a multi-stage process that we go through. The first step is to assess the site and figure out exactly where to put the chargers. So this has a lot of opportunities and constraints that relate to how the site is used, where the existing infrastructure is placed, and, and, and so on. The next step is to actually design the charging installation and develop the construction drawings. And then we go to the permitting process. So once the permits are in place, the site moves to construction and installation. Um, and of course, during all of this, there's a lot of work happening behind the scenes. So we need to understand the cost associated with all the stages. We need to understand the available electrical capacity at the site, the utility's ability to serve that load, uh, when they can provide the power. And some of our clients also need assistance with things like parking policies or what's the right pricing structure for customers when they're using the EV chargers, asset management planning, and, and sort of a whole host of other considerations. Wow. So what are the biggest challenges in your view with, you just talked about that whole sphere. So what are the biggest challenges within and, and around all of that? I think there's maybe four broad groups of challenges. The first relates to cost. The second relates to reliability and the customer experience. The third is around access and accessibility, and the fourth is around power. So starting with cost, EV charging infrastructure can be expensive. Uh, DC fast chargers can cost anywhere between $30,000 to $150,000 and more, depending on uh, their power delivery capabilities. And then you need to consider the cost to bring electricity to the site, the cost for construction and installation, the cost for operations and maintenance, um, the national EV infrastructure formula program, the NEVI program, which mm -hmm. is part of the bipartisan infrastructure law, there's $7.5 billion in funding there to support DC fast charging, but even that's not going to be enough to build out all the charging infrastructure we need. Yeah. Um, not if we're going to support electrification across all types of vehicles in, in all different places. And we also need to think about the pricing structures for charging. It needs to be affordable or the transition to EVs will be financially untenable for a lot of drivers. Yeah. So that's the cost piece. Then we have reliability and customer experience. So, um, you know, you just had Camille Terry from Charger Help on the show. <laughs> she yeah. knows more about this than most. Uh, and I'm sure that you've heard about the study from UC Berkeley earlier this year. Mm -hmm. They went to more than 650 EV chargers in the Bay Area, public chargers, yeah. and found that like a quarter of them were not operational. Yeah. Um, that's a problem. It's a huge challenge. Yes. Yeah. And, you yes. know, the, that NEVI funding I mentioned, the DC fund. DC fast charging sites funded with NEVI dollars need to maintain 97% uptime. So getting from where we are now to that point is a big hurdle. And we have a lot to do as an industry to make that happen. So performance is a big part of the customer experience, but so is the customer interface at the charger. And there are a lot of faults with the payment systems uh, on the chargers that contribute to their downtime, which again yeah. leads to a negative customer experience. And I also wonder about these payment platforms from an equity perspective. So a lot of public chargers require credit cards to use them. And there's somewhere between 15 and 20% of Americans who do not have credit cards. Yeah. So um, a lot of the card-based systems might be exclusionary by default. 
Oh God, uh, I never even thought about that before, but that would be a huge issue. Yes. Yeah. And you know, there's some transit operators or EV car share programs that are targeting folks who have credit access issues. Mm-hmm. So this is a surmountable challenge. There's ways to get around it, but it, it's going to require a lot of careful planning, I think. Yeah. Um, the third piece here in terms of challenges, I think access and accessibility. So we want to ensure equal access for everyone, regardless of geography, of income, of housing type, of ability. And then we want to make sure that community members of all ages and abilities can use infrastructure. So is there enough space for me to get out of my vehicle in a walker or a wheelchair or with another assistive device to move comfortably around the chargers, move comfortably around the vehicle to access the charging? Um, that's a, we could spend a, a whole show talking <laughs> just about access and accessibility issues. And similarly, we could spend a whole show just talking about power. So we yeah. need to think about powering all these chargers. And there's some studies that suggest, oh, the electricity utility or the electric utilities can generate enough power to serve all the EVs. But getting that power to a lot of the sites where it's needed is yeah. expensive. It can take months or even years, uh, especially considering some of the supply chain issues around some of the infrastructure. And we also need to think about how best to manage when the vehicles are charging and try to spread that EV charging load around the clock rather than having everyone EV charger come online at the end of the workday, whether they're at home or they're using commercial vehicles. So there's a ton of other challenges here. How do we future-proof these technologies? How do we ensure access to the benefits of EVs to folks who don't want to or can't afford to own their own vehicle? You know, how do we support um, transit electrification, access to micromobility options? So we're just scratching the surface surface here in terms of of the types of challenges. Just, you know, from your perspective, do you see these issues? I mean, I, I see... These are all surmountable issues, and I see them being addressed in this decade. Am I wrong? Do you think it'll take a little longer in some cases? Um, But, you know, I think this is the decade of fixing, kind of setting up the system and getting it working. I sure hope so. (laughs) I think if nothing else, we will make progress. I I have tremendous faith. Uh, in the individuals who are working on this. I think a lot of us are, um, you know, it's a job, but it's a passion project. You know, we care Mm -hmm. deeply about a lot of the issues that we're talking about, you know, Mm -hmm. again, access and accessibility, reliability, ensuring a positive customer experience. These are really important components. So I think we'll see headway. I don't know if we'll work everything out in a 10-year period, but like I said, I sure hope so. Gaps will start to close. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, I think so too. So from your experience, you know, what are the biggest, so you, you were talking about, you know, the 15,000 installed chargers. And I don't know if, if Kenley Horn is, if that's like the biggest chunk of, um, if Kenley Horn represents the largest chunk of, of that kind of activity and installing chargers in the country. I mean, the, the experiences you all must have must be so, so profound. So what are the biggest learnings after 15,000 <laughs> projects? What have you learned about what works, uh, what doesn't, and what doesn't work? You know, I think there's a, an important distinction between what works from a technical perspective and what's uh, what's joyful to use, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, that's so we've right. all 
seen the photos that's and right. perhaps experienced, you know, the, the example I always use is the, the EV charger that's behind the building near the dumpster in the dark. Oh, yes. You don't want that. Yes. Um, and I think, you know, to the extent you'll never get the women. Yeah. Who are thinking about safety and, um, you know, uh, just wanting to have a positive yeah. user experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's, there's the technical components and then there's the, um, the usability or, or again, it's like, is this going to be a positive experience for me? Right. right. Um, you know, I think ensuring that positive customer experience, I think that's priority one in some respects. Um, we're not going to see mass adoption of EVs if, if there's this broad perception um, that charging is a pain or it's, frustrating or again, like I can't do it unless Mm -hmm. I put maybe my safety at risk, um, by going into places I don't really feel comfortable being. Right. Um, I think a lot of the conversation has been, has been focused on the user experience from the perspective of the person, uh, pulling their car up to the charger to use it. But there's another user group or another customer group that I think is worth thinking about, um, and clearly I have a vested interest in this given what Kimley Horn does. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of the folks who are deploying the charging infrastructure are our clients. Uh, those folks are customers, they're utility customers, they're customers of charging infrastructure providers. Like I said, they're customers of ours. Right. Um, I've touched on how deployment can be expensive. It can be time consuming. Um, I think the industry in general has a lot of work to do to improve these experiences across the board. Right, right. So it would be like, you know, the fueling chain stations, convenience stores, you know, taking the risk, rolling the dice and and putting these charges in. You're right. They're a huge group of folks that are investing and looking to invest in this space for their customers. And I hadn't really thought about it from the customer experience from their perspective that, oh, this might be really difficult uh, for them in some sense depending on yeah. how, it, how it all goes down. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, the focus has been on the end user. And I think that's an appropriate place for, for us to be focusing again, because we, we, we need to make sure that the folks who are using the infrastructure are, are set up to have uh, an enjoyable, successful experience. Uh, right. But again, you know, I, I would like to see um, the process of deployment uh, you know, there's some kinks there that I think we we need to iron out a little bit. So, yeah. So the biggest one of the biggest learnings from your perspective is considering their experience as well. So that means, you know, having a product for them. You know, the customer doesn't go inside the store yelling at the clerk or whatever because you know the the station doesn't work or the reputational uh, issues that may occur when a when a station isn't quite quite working but it's you know the the network operator station and all that but that's really kind of the thing that you're you're sort of talking about here i think so and you know i think you know some of the my engineering partners might have a different perspective to bring to the table but mm-hmm. you know my background uh is in planning and and mm-hmm. i've done a lot of customer research and and so i always think about um, how do we make sure that the folks that we want um, to adopt a technology or to use a technology or to access something can do that? And mm-hmm. not that they just not simply that they can like muddle through it, but that it can be an experience that delights them. Yeah. Right. And again, going back to that, you know, behind the building near the dumpster in the dark, that's not a delightful <laughs> experience, right? From an engineering perspective, it might be a well-designed station, right? It might be the best position in terms of access 
you know, you know, making the shortest conduit run and, you know, getting to the, uh, the electrical room, um, you know, in terms of position, it's the closest parking stalls or something like that. Right. 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 But again, you know, kind of taking that other perspective of, we want to make sure that, that this is a delightful experience for folks. Right. Right. So, okay, I'm going to um, ask you a question about authorities having jurisdiction. So uh, when we talk about authorities having jurisdiction, which for the listeners are called AHJs and really talk about, you know, states and localities could be counties, could be cities, could be metropolitan um, organizations. So from your perspective, what's it like to work with um, AHJs um, and how knowledgeable are they outside of California and then maybe the Northeast, which is, you know, those are the two areas of the country where um, there's a high, higher, I guess we should should say, a degree of electric vehicle penetration and more charging. So what's it like to, to work uh, with them? Um, and, and what would make the process of expanding uh, charging easier from the regulatory perspective? You didn't mention that as a barrier, but, you know, research that I've done suggests that, you know, there, there are some issues there. I mean, yeah. like, um, you know, so can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. So Kimley Horn is working with agencies of all sizes in all 50 states. So we're right. encountering some challenges with, um, like you mentioned, a, a little bit of a lack of knowledge in some mm-hmm. cases or even resistance. But I would say those are the exception rather than the rule. There are a lot of jurisdictions that are really excited about EV charging to them. It represents a new technology. You know, EVs are cleaner and quieter. There's a potential for a new revenue source in EV charging. So there's a lot for them to be excited about in terms of getting EV chargers deployed in their communities. I think one of the challenges is the lack of consistency of from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right. In terms of the types of permits that are required, sometimes it's electrical, sometimes it's mechanical, sometimes it's both. You know, there's a lot of variation there. Right. Um, and then also in the timeframes between permit application and approval, um, you know, that can stretch out to months and months and months in some cases, a year plus. Uh, depending where you are. And in some cases, it's the jurisdictions that are permitting a lot of chargers that tend to have um, you know, more scrutiny mm-hmm. of, of, the, of the permitting process. So there's some uh, movement toward uh, standardization of codes uh, at the state level. Certainly California is making strides there and then nationally. Uh, but in some jurisdictions, even if you have an inspector who's really excited about seeing an EV charging project through, if they don't have the details in their code book, they don't know what to do with it. Um, so that's a challenge. Right. I think m- making it easier to expand EV charging might require a little bit more flexibility um, from, from a regulatory perspective. Um, a lot of the standards right now, as I understand it, assume uh, a new site, uh, a new space, a new um, a new location, right? They might not entirely address retrofit situations yeah. or adding a charger to an existing location. Um, and I know some of our clients got on board with EVs early and they already have aging infrastructure that needs to be swapped out, which is like a whole other set oh, of wow. considerations mm-hmm. on this. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the zoning and the development restrictions can, can become a huge, huge time sink too. So sometimes your installations could impact stormwater, they could impact landscaping. So you have to look at all of it. 
Um, it requires a lot of time, a lot of negotiation, a lot of renegotiation, either with the AHDs, the site host, the landowner. Um, there's serious staffing constraints we're seeing in a lot yeah. of the agencies. So each time you need to go back to them, the process can really stretch out. And so I mentioned that yeah. year, um, you know, again, it's the exception rather than the rule, but we're, we're seeing some extremely lengthy processes. Uh, okay. I did mention, you know, development of streamlined processes for permitting yeah. in, in a yeah. bunch of different areas. And that's I think that's on the network operator. <laughs> yeah. That's on mm-hmm. the network operator wish list is expedited streamlined permitting. And exactly. you do see some jurisdictions that are beginning to uh, legislate that, you know, New Jersey being one um, and there are a couple of others, but you know, this, this issue of harmony, it really is um, our, our harmonization really is a problem. I was talking to um, uh, one of the, uh, uh, convenience store um, fuel providers, and you know it's a it's a major frustration for them because you know they in the same metropolitan area, um, or you know yeah in, in the same area they may have you know little cities or enclaves within that metropolitan area that all have different permitting requirements, um, and yeah. to stay on top of that and to make decisions about where you're going to locate stores and let alone how you're going to design the charging to accommodate is, um, you know, yeah, it's time consuming and it's, it's, it's cost, um, you know, it's costly for them as well. So it it is a big issue where you could go from one part of the area into one set of rules and another into, to something else. Yeah. And you make a good point, right? So I think a lot of folks think about when they think about permitting challenges, they think, okay, let's talk about national private clients with operations in many, many states. But even if you are uh, operating within, like you said, just a metropolitan area or, um, you know, adjacent properties that happen to be in two different cities or two different counties, um, there's a lot of uh, potential confusion that can enter the process as a result of that. Yeah. So, um, I want to ask you sort of a one sort of overarching philosophical question, um, which I know you like. (laughs) So um, how do you see um, the the charging space itself? How do you see it evolving for light, medium and heavy duty? Because you're not only, Kimley Horn isn't only working on um, charging for light duty vehicles, but you're doing projects in the heavy duty space. So I'm really interested to hear how your your perspective on where you see charging going and and what you think about that space in particular. Yeah, so so Kimley Horn has a big transit practice, and I think some of my partners who are involved in transit have been uh, working with some of the transit agencies for a long time and planning for electrification um, and designing and deploying the the charging infrastructure to serve them. And that's an area I think that's going to continue to grow uh, really rapidly. You know, there's more and more models that are 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 being released in the light and medium and heavy duty vehicle spaces. You know, we have increasing battery capacities, we're seeing range increases, and we're seeing the ability to charge even faster. Um, the megawatt charging system, uh, Charan officially launched that, I think this last summer. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a DC fast charging connector for heavy duty vehicles. Um, we're seeing more and more successful vehicle to grid applications. We're seeing billions of dollars in investments from major automakers and commercial vehicle makers. So I think we're just, I mean, you know, poised for explosive growth. We're just 
starting to see the beginnings of that. I think this year we saw some acceleration in the market as a result of fuel prices. Um, that sort of EV option became a little bit more attractive. The ROI became a little mm-hmm. bit better mm-hmm. <laughs> thinking mm-hmm. about that. But I think, you know, explosive growth. I think that's where we are right now. We're, we're, we're just on the cusp of that. So last and fun question, what excites you most about the space and your job and why? My number one motivation in my work has always been around improving environmental quality, improving environmental health, improving public health. So EVs produce zero tailpipe emissions. They generate somewhere on the order of half the emissions of a comparable ICE vehicle, even when you include the battery manufacturing process. Right. We have a ton of work to do here. It's more than simply swapping out every single vehicle with an internal combustion engine for a zero emissions vehicle. We need to reduce reliance on single occupant vehicles, to reduce congestion, to reduce motor vehicle accidents, to reduce pedestrian collisions, right? We need to make sure everyone has access to safe, affordable, reliable, clean transportation. We need to design and deploy thousands upon thousands of EV chargers in well-lit, accessible spaces with accessible payment systems, with high uptime. These are huge, huge challenges that require experts from a lot of different disciplines to do their very, very best work very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's And it's all, it's very important. It's personally important. Mm-hmm. And I think it's globally, societally important. So if that's not exciting, I don't know what is. <laughs> Well, that's great. Jenna, thank you so much for being on the program today. It was a real pleasure to have you and to learn a little bit about the bits and nuggets of of charging. Well, thanks so much for having me, Tammy. This was a lot of fun. You've been listening to Fueling the Future of Transport. This show is hosted and edited by Tammy Klein, produced by Carolyn Schneer and engineered by Alexander Nikolic. To hear more great episodes of this show, learn more, and sign up for a free bi-weekly newsletter, visit transportenergystrategies.com.